I, I had a, a, few, uh, a few seminary students came into my office a, a few weeks ago. They were in a class, a church planting class, and one of their assignments was go find someone that planted a church and ask them how he did it. You know, so these guys are sitting around a table with me taking notes, and they said, so, you know, how did you do this? How did you plan for Cornerstone? How did you make this happen? And I said, you know, you guys, I am the worst person in the world to ask that question to because, honestly, the greatest things that happened at Cornerstone were unplanned. The greatest things that have happened in this church really were accidents, you know, from my perspective. Obviously, it was God's plan, but really, you really can't plan this out. I, I go, the church itself was an accident. I didn't plan on planting a church, you know. It's just one of those things that's kind of happened. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor for life. As you know, when I graduated college, you know, it was like, man, I'm going to work with high schoolers for the rest of my life. It was an accident. You know, it was just this momentary, you know what, maybe we just start a church. Maybe we just start our own church and, and make this happen. And it, it wasn't anything you, you could create. He, he said, well, what about the staff? And I was like, well... All the staff are serious accidents. I mean, they—it it, just—it's not like I got a bunch of resumes and go, oh, you know, this looks good. You know, it, it just wasn't like that. Talk to any of them. Everyone just these weird circumstances. And suddenly he came here, and she came there, and suddenly it's like, all right. And these people are on staff, and you know, and we we just went down the list. Well, what about missions? You know, you guys, Cornerstone does so much overseas for all these missionaries and stuff, and you're sending people everywhere. And I go, man. That wasn't my heart to begin with. Honestly, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this, but when we started the church, to me, missions kind of got in the way. It was one of those things where, you know, if we spend money on missions, we won't have enough. I don't even know if this church is going to survive. And it was this whole selfish thing. In fact, when Tim Hardy, our, our youth pastor, when we hired him, which was weird, you know, but, but again, just an accident. I can tell you about how all that happened, you know, but a totally unplanned thing. But when we hired him, I guess he was telling other people, they go, hey, what do you think about Cornerstone? You know what he would tell everyone? He goes, I love the church. Everything about the church, except it doesn't seem like they have a heart for missions. It seems like Francis doesn't really have a heart for missions. But he never told me that. He never confronted me on it. He just prayed for me. He just kept praying for me. And it was amazing just how God started working in my life and different people like Brad Buser came into my life and, and hearing about his heart for the world and for people who didn't know Jesus. I'm like, wow. Then suddenly I'm at a prayer breakfast and I hear this guy named Keith Phillips talking about the inner city. And I'm like, wow, I never thought about the inner city. All these things just started happening. I go, it wasn't anything we planned out. Like I'm gonna start a church that's so into missions, so into the inner city. And they said, what about your love for the poor? You know, Cornerstone gives hundreds of thousands of dollars to the poor. How, how did that happen? I go, accident. Um, this guy invited me to go to Uganda, and I was going to go because all these famous people were going to go, you know, like, you know, Franklin Graham, Bono, you know, all this, all, yeah, and it's like, wow, okay, I'll go, I'll go. And uh, none of those guys show up, and I'm in Africa, and I accidentally fall in love with the people, you know? I didn't mean to fall in love with these orphans, you know? I thought, okay, I'll pity them, I'll feel sorry for them, but I didn't mean to fall in love to where I come home and go, we're going to give everything to them, you know? This is all that matters. I go, with these things just happen. You don't plan for them, and then suddenly the church becomes this church that cares for the poor, that cares about missions. You know, what about, uh, you know, they asked about the TV ministry and the internet ministry. Total accident. Ran to this guy named Johnny who was leaving his, his, his work in, in Hollywood to be this, uh, you know, he was this, this uh, cameraman. He says, I'm just done with that. I want to go to ministry. I want to go to seminary. I'm going to move to Texas. Go to seminary. I go, don't move to Texas. Who would want to go to Texas? And, uh, you know, stay here, you know, and we'll get you through seminary. I'm just kidding. For those of you guys that are going, I think it's great. 
for you. And, uh, you know, and it's like, stay here, go to seminary, you know, and you can work at the church. He's like, what am I going to do at the church? I go, I don't know, make videos or something. And, uh, you know, it just turns into this ministry that's ministering to all sorts of people all around the world. They start asking about the church plants. And I go, every single one of those was an accident. We've had like eight church plants in the last couple of years. Every one of them was unplanned. Thing, you know, our, our church plant in Moore Park, that wasn't anything we planned. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, let's, let's show our video out there and see if people will go and watch the video and pretty soon they don't. It's like, well, I'll just drive back and forth, you know, from Moore Park to see me for a while. And I, I finally got sick of that. It's like, you know, Gordy, just take over the church and make something good happen. You know, and, and, and sure enough, that's what's happened there. Uh, Idaho, Paul Hatfield, who would have thought? I mean, really, did you, you know, when you heard Paul, thought, he's going to be a senior pastor. He's going to plant a church and have this thriving, killer church in Idaho. No, no one plans that. Tony? <laughs> Tony Hall, a senior pastor out in Ohio, you know? It, it's just, the, the, none of these things were planned. Brian Risky? Brian Risky, he, you know what he did? He ran the coffee truck. That's who Brian was. Remember that? <laughs> That's how we got started here. He made coffees out there, and I used to stand and meet visitors and give them coffee, and Brian made the coffees. You know, it wasn't like, I know, I'm going to take that guy, train him, and make... There was no brilliant plan in this. I didn't even know where they were going to plant a church. They hid it from me, you know? It's like all these things that happen, you know, and you can just go on down the line. You know, Brian and Scott out in Santa Monica, nothing to do with Frank Tomlinson, you know, 70 years old, I think I want to plant church. Why not? Everyone else is. You know, just, just go. Just go. You know, Doug Fox comes back one day and goes, I'm going to go to Texas. Oh, yeah, I would have guessed that one. You know, just go plant a church. Steve Solomon out in Ventura. Just nothing. Had nothing to do with any of this. It's just accident, 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 accident. Like, well, what about the college? What about the, the college? I go, are you kidding me? What a joke. What a joke, you know, that, that we, would, we would have a college and that it's doing as well as it is right now. You think that was because of our plan or we came up with something? Man, in fact, a couple of our staff just went over to the Master's College, which was my alma mater, I graduated from there, and, and they were interviewing one of the, 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 the professors there because we want to figure out how to do things better here. And they asked this, this professor, Beely, they go, do you even remember a guy 20 years ago named Francis Chan? And, and here's, he goes, he goes, yeah, I remember him. And this is all he said. He was a punk. <laughs> That's it. Not one kind, that was it. That's the only word he used to describe him. He was a punk. All right. It was funny, though, because then when I went to grad school, I go to seminary, and, and I forgot what happened, but I got confronted by one of the professors there, and he goes, he goes, you know, they warned us about you at the college. I'm like, they warned me? I go, was it Beely? And they go, no, it was another guy, Bertolini. I'm like, what, everyone's just warning you about me? I go, and so to, to, to look here today and for me to sit across a table from you guys and say, okay, well, here's how we did it. Here's how we did all these things. That would be an absolute lie because the absolute truth is the greatest things that have happened in Cornerstone have been unplanned. God did it. I couldn't have done it. No one could have done it. No one thought about doing it ahead of time. They just happened. And as I left there, I thought to myself, you know, think about your life. What are the greatest things that happened in your life so far? Did you plan those out? Did you make those things happen? 
You know, I started looking at my own life and I'm going, gosh, this is true about life. It's not just about the church. It's about my whole life. When I look at all the great, the things that I love about my life, I didn't make them happen. I couldn't have made them happen. I sit and I even think, I think about my marriage. You know, I look at my wife and I think, you know what? I mean, what was that? How, how did that happen? It's just, I mean, think about when you guys met your spouses. <laughs> Pretty funny, huh? <laughs> you know, when you just think about, wow, that was so weird for me. It was like, you know, I was working at this church. I hear this voice, yeah, there's this guest soloist, and I hear this voice go, no way. And then I look at her and I go, no way. And uh, <laughs> honestly, the first thing I did, I literally prayed at that moment. I go, God, you love me, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's... I'm going to be, no, I'm not going to tell you what I really prayed. I, you know what? Okay, I'll tell you. You, you know, I didn't tell last two services, but I, I literally, the moment I saw her, this is so embarrassing. You're going to think I'm so shallow. I prayed to God, and I said, God, honestly, if you give me her, I will never lust again. <laughs> not at all. Thank you. I'm just being honest, okay? You got a very shallow pastor up here. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just nuts, you know, and, and so I, I've been asking, you know, at the different services, I'm like, how'd you guys meet? And just the stories, last night, one couple met on Jeopardy, you know, <laughs> you know, the TV show, another couple, you know, that, uh, oh, she says, oh, I was 16 and he was nine. <laughs> I was like, don't tell me, you became a school teacher, right? And uh, we, we, uh, but it's just weird stuff, they were just talking, I mean, I mean, how many of you, how many of you would say, I, I, we, went in a, we met in a weird way. You guys are married. Ah, you're scared I'm going to ask. Anyone want to share? Anyone want to share? Okay, how did you guys meet? In and out Burger. In and out Burger, yeah, there you go. Went in for a quick bite and got a little bit more, yeah. On the freeway? How? Is that not how it happened? <laughs> what? Oh, okay. All right. He followed you to work. All right. Okay. Wow. I, I don't want to start anything. Don't argue. Okay. You had her at yo. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just so funny, though. I mean... Okay, I mean, we talk about accidents. How many of you were accidents? <laughs> Look at that, a third of you. You know, thank God for that. It's like, you know, because I, when I was dwelling about all this stuff, I'm going, man, when I look at my life and I look at all the things that I love and the greatest things about it, I couldn't have planned it. So then why do we stress out thinking that we can make life work? You know, why do we try so hard? Like, we're going to make our lives wonderful? When, when you look at your life, you go, no, the greatest things just kind of happened, didn't they? And so why are we stressed out? Why are we trying so hard? Why do we keep going, oh, I'm going to make this happen, make this happen? There's a, a passage I want you to turn to, Psalm 127. Turn to Psalm 127. I know I was supposed to start Colossians today, but uh, you know me. It's just accident. Um, Psalm 127, 
verses 1 and 2. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and you stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I love that. I love that picture. He says, look, unless the Lord builds the house, these people, these little people, you can get the greatest builders in the world, greatest architects, everything else, greatest minds on earth to build a building, but if the Lord doesn't want that building to be built, is it going to happen? No, there's no way. And he, goes, he goes, you can get the greatest guards with the greatest you know, military and everything guarding this city, but if, the guard, if God doesn't want that city to be protected, is it going to be protected? He goes, no. There's this whole idea of somehow we can make ourselves safe. We can accomplish things. We can make this happen. I can keep my family safe. I can do it. You know, maybe if I get gates, you know, maybe guards, maybe dogs, maybe alarms, maybe guns, maybe all of this, then I can somehow protect. And it's like, you know what? God could be burning your house down right now if you wanted to. In fact, last night at service, I go, man, you know, some of you guys right here, God could be burning your house down right now. I go, and if it happens, give me a call tonight so I can use it as an example, you know, for Sunday morning. Someone called me last night, and they go, our house didn't burn down, but our next door neighbor. I'm like, oh, okay, I can use the illustration, and you still keep your house. Uh, You know, but it's just this whole idea of, you guys, look, look, the great things in life, everything in life happens for one reason, God. So so what are you going to do? Really? I mean, don't you feel like that sometimes where you're just toiling in vain? You try to make something happen and it doesn't happen. You fight, 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 try to make something happen, whether it's a job, a position, a relationship, your stocks to rise, you know, whatever. You, you try to make it happen. It's like, you can't do anything. And then other times things just kind of fall on your lap, right? And you go, no way. And usually those are the greatest things in the world. And that's why I love that verse too. He goes, in vain. It's in vain you rise early, in vain you stay up late toiling for food to eat. It's this picture of this person that's stressed out. And he gets up early in the morning going, i gotta, I got to make this happen. This is killing me. i got to figure this out. He stays up all night going, man, how am I going to make this happen? And then there's this other picture of this other guy who's laying there on a bed. And the Bible says he gives to his beloved sleep. The force of that, that, that passage is saying that he gives to his beloved while they're sleeping. So I could be laying in bed and doing better than the person that's toiling, working, staying up all night, stressing out, trying to make this happen. And I can just go to bed at night and go, God, you love me, so what could go wrong? It's this beautiful picture of the way God wants us to live, understanding that we're beloved. We're his. And so why go through the day toiling and trying to make things happen apart from him when the bottom line is you'll be just working against him? He wants his beloved to sleep. He wants to give to us in our sleep. He commands us to sleep. He commands us to rest. You can take a Sabbath, take a day off. I got it covered. Okay? Just rest. It's pretty awesome. You know, it's, it's interesting as I've been trying to apply this to my life because really my job, think about my job. I got the weirdest job in the world. My job is to make you love God more. I mean, if you want to 
boil it down to something simple. I'm supposed to help you love God more. But how do you make anyone love God? That's impossible. I can't make you love God. I can't make anyone believe in God. So I can work so hard at this perfect message, but the bottom line is, if, if there's some people in this room, okay, some of you, you just love God. You are just crazy about God, and you will love God, and you'll grow closer to God this week, regardless of anything I say. I could stand on the stage right now and tell you, whatever you do this week, do not read the Bible. Don't read it. Don't, please, just as a favor to me, okay? Just, just to me, just don't read it this week. Don't pray at all this week, okay? Please. I could sit here and beg you not to read your Bible, not to pray, but you'll walk out this door and go, I'm not listening to him. I love God, and I will not stop reading his word. I will not stop praying to him. No matter what I say to you, you will grow closer to God. And then there's other people in the room that I could give the greatest message and try to encourage you and use an example, you know, use all these illustrations, use all these facts where you go, yeah, 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 but at the end, you're not going to love God. You're not going to grow any closer to him. You're not going to walk away from your sin. I can't make you walk away from your sin. You love it more than God right now. And there's nothing I can do, nothing I can say to change that. So then what do I do? Well, how, how do I accomplish this? Because when I pray, you know, when I go, God, what would you want of Cornerstone Church right now? It's, it's not about numbers or anything else. It's, it's about God. I really believe the heart of God right now for this church you people in this room, what God wants of us is like, gosh, I believe this so much, that God wants us so much more committed to him, so much more in love with him. Like there's this another level that we're supposed to be at and then that our, our faith really needs to grow to that level, our love for him, to where we're consumed by him, consumed with him. You know, it's, it's, it's the picture of, the Bible talks about how we are his bride. We're the, the church is the bride of Christ, the Bible says. And so my job then, you know, is to help prepare the bride for when the groom comes to take us. When Christ returns, he's returning for his bride. And so the job is make the bride as beautiful as possible. What, what did you want in a bride? I wanted in a bride a, a woman who was in love with me, committed to me, devoted to me, only had eyes for me, not looking everywhere else. In the same way, God says, that's what I want of my bride. I want a bride, a, a church, you know, this, these people who are committed to me. They don't have their eyes on all these things in the world that they want and desire. They're just looking forward to that day when I return in love with the groom. So how do you make that happen? How can I make you totally focused? How can I make myself totally focused on him in love? With, how do you make anyone more in love with God? I figured it out. It's in Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just going to look at two verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Here's what Paul did. Here's how Paul, he says, this is, this is the best chance I got. 
at helping you love God more, know God better. Ephesians 1 verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul goes, look, I can't make you love God. I can't say anything to make you love God. I, I can't give you any facts. I can't, you know, beg you. He goes, so this is what I do. I just keep asking God. I go, God, you make them love you. He goes, I just keep asking. I keep praying to the Father saying, Father, would you give them, would you give these people the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of wisdom, the idea just, you know, not just knowledge, not just head knowledge, give them wisdom. Help them to see how wise it is to love you. Give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The word revelation means to, uh, to disclose something, to uncover something. It's like take the blinders off so they can see how wonderful you are. In the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, when it's referring to the Holy Spirit, it refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. And so, so God, you know, I mean, Paul is praying to God and saying, God, give these people your spirit. See, because something supernatural has to happen for you to love God. No one can physically make you love God. I've had people ask this question all the time. How can I get my friend to believe in God? How can I get my kids to be interested in God again? How about if I force them to church? How about if we just play Christian music at home? What if I make them, you know, write verses over and over? You know, just live the life and pray, 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 pray. That's what Paul does. He just keeps praying. But when he, he says, he, he wants God to give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He says, so that they may know him better. So that you may know him better. And that phrase, so you may know him better, literally, it means in the full knowledge of him. See, Paul's prayer for the church, which has been my prayer for you, is not that you would just know who God is, but that you'd have this full knowledge of him, a complete knowledge. Not this Hollywood, Jesus is my homeboy, you know, kind of, yeah, sure, I'll accept Jesus, or this, you know, I believe in Jesus because I don't want to go to hell type of relationship. What Paul prays for is that these people would have a complete knowledge of him. And that's something that I can't do. It's just something I can pray for. And uh, here's, here's, here's the verse, verse 18. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He says, I, I, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay, what, what does that mean? I pray that the eyes... Of your heart, did you know your heart had eyes? What does that mean? That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened? The, the heart was the, the center, the core of a person's being in their mindset. It was the place where you made your, your decisions. It's where your desires, your will, every, it's just the very core of your being. He goes, I'm praying that that would be opened. Paul's not praying for just a bunch of head knowledge for people to know about him. He goes, I'm praying that the people, that their affections, the very core of their being, they start making their decisions based upon you because you open the eyes of their hearts. You know, I had lunch this week with Brian, who's planting our church in Santa Monica. And at lunch, you know, as I talked to him about the church, how it's going, he goes, you know, my biggest fear 
Because one of my biggest fears is that uh, our church will start filling up with people who know a lot about Jesus. I don't want a bunch of people to just know about Jesus and know all the theology about Jesus. I want them to really know him. Like really get him and love him. Like there's a relationship. There's such a difference between head knowledge and intellectual knowledge and that heart knowledge where, you know what, not only do I know it in my mind but in my heart to where this is my affection and I love him and I desire him. He goes, that's what I'm hoping. He goes, I'm I'm praying that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened in order that they may know, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Do you you think you know what you're hoping for? Do you think you get what you're hoping for? Do do you feel like you have any idea of how great it's going to be to see God face to face and to live with him for all of eternity? See, I'm convinced that most of us don't really get it. We don't really get how great it is to know God. It's something that God has to reveal to us, open our eyes to. It's hard, though. It's just hard in our world. It's hard for me to stay focused on it. Don't you feel like it's hard to stay focused on spiritual things throughout the week? Things that have to do with God. It's a fight, isn't it? I mean, there's just so many things to think about. I was so embarrassed the other week um, here at church. Steve was preaching. Remember that, Steve? Steve? You guys remember Steve? Steve, stand up, Steve. Is that you? Is that you? Yeah, that's you over there. Steve, you guys remember Steve? I just remember, you guys remember him? A surfer guy, Ventura boy. He, uh, you know, and he was talking about the gospel, and he was sharing about the gospel, and I remember him being up here and just so fired up, so in love with the cross, and just he just gave such a passionate, passionate message. You know what I was thinking about while he was talking? I was thinking about lobster. <laughs> the night before, you guys ever, uh, you ever have a dinner so good you think about it the whole next day? There's this guy in our church, he's like part owner of this restaurant out in the valley called Fleming's. They're on Topanga, that one with the torches and everything. And he's just like, come on in, you know, you and your wife and I'll take care of you. You know, he gave us a gift certificate and get there. And he just brings this appetizer out of tempura lobster. Temp- uh, yeah, see, okay, yeah, you understand, okay, you were all judging me before. Um, it was, uh, it was just these like five tails of tempura lobster and other tempura and my wife doesn't eat lobster so I'm just eating it all like no way and it was like the greatest food I'd never had lobster in a restaurant other than Mexico and Chinatown but you don't know if that's really lobster they uh and so I'm just eating this going oh that's so good and so the next day you know Steve's preaching and my mind just kept going back and forth gospel lobster gospel lobster you know and I'm just going, man, what, if I really got, you see, it's, it's such a fight, isn't it? And yet in my mind, I know, I know this stuff is better. I know, it's, it's like, do I get this hope to which I've been called? Do I understand spiritual things? Because if I really got it, I wouldn't think about all these earthly things. I'm not saying that, that the things of the earth are not okay to enjoy. They are okay to enjoy. 
Okay, but, but it's, 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 there, there shouldn't be a comparison. If we really understood, if we really knew the hope to which we've been called, and we could keep our eyes, because I feel like my eyes are open. I feel like, you know, there are times when I pray, when I'm in prayer, and I'm before the Lord, and it's like, wow, God, there's no place I'd rather be. Remember last night in this room, when we were worshiping, I mean, place going nuts, and I'm just going... There is nowhere I'd rather be. Nothing compares to this. Talking to you, worshiping you. But then suddenly it's like my eyes get shut again and I start looking at things in the world like, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. Rather than staying focused on God. And that's what Paul prays for them. He goes, I want you to know the hope to which he has called you. But, but here's the phrase that's been killing me. Oh, it's been killing me for a couple months now. Okay. What is the hope? What is the hope to which he has called you? Look at that next phrase. Okay, this is the last thing we're going to look at. The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Think about this. Look at the words carefully. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. When we talk about eternal things, we talk about heaven and we talk about inheritance, what do you think of? What you're going to inherit, right? As a child of God, the things you're going to get. What is this verse talking about? Whose inheritance? His. Who's his? God's. The riches of God. What, what, God's going to inherit something? Something valuable. It says the riches of his glorious inheritance. What is this glorious thing that God gets to inherit? Us. You guys are going, what? This is all he gets out of the deal? You guys, this was bugging me because I'm like, there's no way it's saying that. There's no way that God is up there going, oh, I can't wait to inherit Francis, the God of the universe. And, and I kept looking at all these other passages going, wait, no, no, inheritance is about us. But no, even in the Old Testament, it talks about how God pulled out Israel for his own inheritance. This is in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, verse 53. You singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance. And it's this picture saying God looks at us, you know, just how we go, oh, I can't wait to be with him. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to, to inherit him and all that he has to offer. The riches of his kingdom, God in heaven from his perspective is going, here's the riches, it's you. I get to inherit you. The riches of his inheritance, his glorious inheritance in the saints. It brings him glory to inherit me. He saved me and it makes him look good. You see, because when God pulls us into heaven, it's like, wow, look, look what I did. I took Steve and Dory. I took them and turned them into saints. I was able to pull them out of all of their junk and look what I did. Look what I did with them. I made them saints. I made them saints. Saint Dory, Saint Steve, Saint Andrew, Saint Lori. 
yelling out of a truck to pick up his wife, and I turned that into a saint. God's going, am I good or what? You see, that's this picture, and he says, man, I... I, I, I look forward to that. I, see, Paul's saying, gosh, would you open their eyes so that they would see, that they would get the stuff, really get that, that this is valuable to God, that you're valuable. Because when you understand that you are his glorious inheritance that he's looking forward to, the things of the earth, it won't matter so much. When you really get it, wow, God, you're looking forward to me. I'm valuable. Why? Because he can look at friends and say, I took him with all the garbage in his life, and look what I did to him. I had my son through my suffering, through my suffering, through the suffering of my son, I I cleansed him, and now he's totally pure, and I'm going to bring him home. I am working in him. I'm changing him. I'm making him. He's doing that with us. And so at the end, he inherits this bride. He inherits us, this pure, beautiful bride. And it's all to his glory, to the praise of his glory, so that at the end, everyone looks and says, wow, look what God made of us. Look what God did with us. And he says, you, you're, you're the riches. You're my glorious inheritance. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that God looks at you that way? that he can't wait to inherit you? That's why in Psalm, listen to this, Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. You get that? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Isn't that an amazing thought that God in heaven's going... I can't wait till Cindy dies. I can't wait to have her. I can't wait to inherit her after purifying her, after changing her, and, and just everything I did. I mean, she's my glory, and I'm going to inherit her. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. See, we forget to look at things from God's perspective. And a a saint in the Lord passes away and we cry and absolutely we have every right to cry and God wants us to cry and to be sad but also to understand precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. That that we are the riches of his inheritance. It's just, it's it's mind-boggling. Only God can reveal to you how good that is to be his inheritance. It's one thing to, to have our eyes opened to the inheritance we get, but it takes a supernatural act of God for you to understand what a blessing it is to us that he sees us as his glorious inheritance. It's powerful, man. Only God can reveal that to you, and that's why Paul prayed, and that's why I've been praying for you, because there's, there's no way I can make you understand this get this in your heart. You can, you can get in your head and your mind go, okay, so he looks forward to me. But to understand that, have the eyes of your heart open to get that, I can't do it. That's why I've been praying. That's why, you know, uh, we had the staff retreat in, in April, and because of these verses, I, I shared with the staff, and, and I said, look, what we want to do at Cornerstone is have everyone more in love with God, but we can't accomplish that through working harder I said, so for the month of May, I want you to only work 75% of your hours and the other 25%, I want you to spend praying. 
That's in addition to the prayer that you do on your own. Hopefully you guys are all praying at least an hour a day. But in addition to that, I, I want you to just, you know, and so if things don't get done around the office, we miss phone calls, emails, you know, things are dirty, the bulletin looks weird, you know, whatever. I don't care. Because what are we trying to accomplish here? We're trying to get people to love God more, and that happens through prayer. And so let's pray. And I wanted you to know that your staff's been praying for you all month and will continue to pray for you through the rest of the month. And then they'll stop. No, but, uh, you know, but no, no, it's just this whole idea of let's, I said, let's just see. Let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. Will people fall more in love with you? Will people fall more in love with God? Through prayer, because that's what Paul did. That was his answer. And so what I want to do right now is, uh, you know, let me just say this one last thing. I've been feeling a lot of pressure. Um, I had been feeling a lot of pressure to be more professional. You know, people say, hey, Cornerstone isn't just this little mom-and-pop church anymore, so you can't just run it as this little mom-and-pop church anymore. It's like, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, it's this whole thing, and there's too many people involved and everything else. And then I thought, man, that's not what God's saying. That pressure doesn't come from God. God doesn't want us to be more professional. He wants us to be more childlike and more dependent and not run it like a mom-and-pop church. Just run it like a pop church. You know, Father, do this, do that, do that. You know, just fix everything. Because the truth is, is the greatest things that happened in this church Happened by, we can call them accident, but God made them happen. And so the best thing we can do, I, sometimes I just go, why do I do anything except pray? He's in charge. I'm just going to labor in vain unless he's behind it. And if he's behind it, I can go to bed and rest and things will take off. And so I just want to give you some time to pray. I want you to pray. Here's what I want you to pray for right now. Two things. Pray for the people in this room who are still in love with their sin and think it's better than God. And pray that God would change them and open their eyes, that their eyes would be enlightened so they would see how good God is, how much better, that he would keep their eyes open and focused on him. Would you pray that? The people in this very room who are struggling with that and the people in the satellite room, they need even more prayer because they're late and that's why they're over there. Um, <laughs> just kidding, you guys. Some of you guys are there to make room in here. Thank you. Um, no, but to, to pray, pray for the people that are at service right now that are in sin or thinking about sinning this week, think that it's more appealing than what God has to offer. Pray that God will just show them he's got so much more. And pray for the people in this room that just flat out don't believe in God. Don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for them. Think that they're good people and they're gonna make it, you know, that, that they're this beautiful inheritance because of something they did. That God would open their eyes and see that we're beautiful because of what Jesus did in us. And ask God to save them. All right? I'm just going to give you a couple minutes. Would you just pray for the people in this room?